Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. If you have your Bibles, I would ask that you would turn into John's Gospel, the 11th chapter. If you don't have your Bibles, I would say, why did you come to church without a Bible? But if you have it, or you have an electrical device with a Bible on it, feel free to scroll to John 11, as we are going to continue our study in the magnificent Gospel of John, and we are following off of last week's lesson, where we saw Jesus heal a man named Lazarus and raise him from the dead. In verse 45 of chapter 11 told us this, that many put their faith in Christ after seeing Lazarus raised from the dead. I guess they did. I mean, let's be real for a moment. How many of us could see Lazarus come out of the tomb after four days and then say, this Jesus is a hoax? No, they saw Lazarus and they believed. But the interesting thing about this is that some of them still didn't. Some of them, in amazement, still did not believe, even after seeing Lazarus come out of the tomb, even after hearing Jesus' fifth I am statement where he said, I am the resurrection and the life, they still didn't believe. And in fact, some of them, as we're going to see today, run and tattletale on Jesus to the religious leaders. And we're going to talk about those religious leaders today. In fact, they are religious unbelievers. I know that sounds like an oxymoron. How can one be a religious unbeliever? It's very easy. It's very simple. Some of you are doing it today. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have all the religion in the world, but no true faith in Christ leading to repentance and a changed life. You play religious games. We're going to see this group of people who are playing religious games. And the reason that we're going to look at them today in this text in John chapter 11, verses 46 through 57 is because I want you to see this, that Jesus is the biggest threat to the religious unbelievers. They are going to obviously be threatened by Him. And the most threatening thing today to the religious hypocrite is the same as it was then, Christ. And Christ is going to threaten them. They are going to be called to action, to respond against this felt threat. This is not uncommon in our day, is it? It's not uncommon in our day for man to be threatened by Jesus, whether he be a religious man or an irreligious man. Many hear the truth of Jesus Christ and it threatens them. We're going to see as to why. Why why would it threaten them? Why does it threaten so many? So as we open our Bibles to John chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 46 and 57, and we're going to talk about this in detail today as the Scriptures outline this very message for us. Verse 46 says this of chapter 11, as we dive in quickly. I remind you once more that it comes right off of verse 45, where it says, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, and they put their faith in him. Then there was that other group, verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus 
had done. They went to the Pharisees and they said, he's raising the dead now. You're not going to believe this. I know you've heard he turned water into wine and that he healed an invalid of 37 years and that, that he then healed a blind man and he healed a nobleman's son. He, he's doing more now. He's raising people from the dead. They went tattletelling on Jesus. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. They're going to have a Jewish council. They're going to meet. All of the Jewish leaders are going to get together to discuss what they need to do about this problem known as Jesus of Nazareth. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing miraculous signs. What they mean is, what are we accomplishing? We've been trying to stamp him out. We haven't been successful in doing this. We're getting nowhere. He keeps doing the same thing. And every time that he does powerful works by the hand of God, other people follow him. What are we going to do about this? We're not being real successful in stopping him. If we let him go on like this in verse 48, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. The place that they were talking about was the temple and their places in the temple, their positions of prominence in Judaism. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. Oh, is this man dripping with pride? He speaks to all the religious leaders of Israel, and he says, You know nothing at all. He said, You're all stupid. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Caiaphas says, Let's just go ahead and get rid of him. It would be better for us. Verse 51, he did not say this on his own. We'll talk a lot about this. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. This is in reference to the Gentiles who were scattered and to the rest of Israel who was scattered. This is in reference to the fact that Christ was dying to atone for the death of all who would believe. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. I've been telling you that Jesus' public ministry was coming to a close. Here it is. He no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. So when they had this council of all the Jewish leaders, they came to the conclusion, we know that he's going to show up at Passover. When he shows up at Passover, we've got him. Make sure that if anyone sees him, they let us know so that we can arrest him. Jesus being the biggest threat to the religious unbelievers. We're going to see how they responded to Jesus. And and we're going to actually look and see how people are responding to Jesus even today. Sometimes even in the so-called churches. How, How are they responding to the threat of Jesus? First, I want you to see this in the first Verses 46 through 48, I want you to see that they responded in this way. 
They canceled Jesus for fear of personal loss. They canceled Jesus for fear of personal loss. In our culture, we are all too familiar with people being canceled, right? People cancel people the moment that they disagree with them. If someone disagrees with a certain group or a certain group of people, they will cancel them and say that they are no longer valid. This is what was happening in the life of Jesus 2,000 years ago. These Jewish leaders got together and they had this conclave and this meeting and they said what we have to do is we have to cancel this Jesus. And why was that so important? Look at what it says in those verses. Verse 46, we know that some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Verse 47 says, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. They said, let's get everyone together on this so that we're all on the same page. Let me just tell you this, to get the Pharisees and the Sadducees on the same page, you had to really be a threat. Jesus got them all on the same page, and here they go. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is the, this man performing many miraculous signs. They didn't deny that he was doing them. They openly admitted it there, didn't they? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Well, what a threat he posed to them. Everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Please understand that Rome was over Israel at this time. And please know this, they let them feel as if they were still their own nation and their own people. As long as they didn't cross Rome, they wouldn't have any problems. They, they worked together to make everyone feel all right. These religious leaders here, seeing what Jesus was doing, felt threatened by him. They knew that they had to cancel this Jesus for fear of their personal loss. What would they lose? What would the religious leaders lose in the day of Christ? Why did they feel so threatened? Let me tell you this, the first thing that they would lose, the first reason that they canceled Jesus, was the loss of power and control. Loss of power and control. Prideful man's number one fear is losing power and control. If you are still in your sin and you are still in your self-deceit and you are still in your pride today, your greatest fear is losing control. You want to be on the throne of your sinful lives. And here, the religious leaders felt the same way in their unbelief. They knew this, to lose the temple meant to lose control of power. And in losing control of power, they would also lose control over the people. The whole Jewish system of worship that they had been controlling for hundreds of years. They had taken control of it. It never belonged to them. But they are now claiming that it belongs to them. Look what they said there in verse 48. They said, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They thought that the nation of Israel and the temple belonged to them. And it never belonged to them. It belonged to God. And it is God's and it will always be God's. They had lost sight of everything in their sinful pride. They were controlling everything to benefit themselves. They would lose power control in earthly finances. We remember back in John chapter 2 when Jesus went into the temple area and he cleared all of the money changers out. And why did he do this? Because they were ripping people off in the name of God, making financial gain 
off of God. They knew this, that if Jesus was recognized as the true Messiah, and they bowed down to Him, they would lose their control and their power over the people. And I tell you this today, that the unbelieving religious, even today, even in our midst, they always want power and control. They desire power and control even over surrendering to Christ as Lord and Savior. They want their own will. They don't want God's will. They want their own will to be done, and they use God only for their own personal gain. Even personal financial gain. The whole Word of Faith movement that we have seen sweep across the world, and especially across this country, is people making financial gain, ripping the people of God off as if they own the people of God, and putting them into subjection to themselves so that they can fly around in their airplanes and they can make more money all over the world, all in the name of Christ. And it is a hoax and it is a farce. And if you are into that movement, you need to get out today. Run away as far as you can. Anyone who tells you that if you give them money, they'll promise that God will bless you with money is a liar and a thief. Run from him, or even in these days, her, but get away from him as quickly as you can. Why? Because they fit the description of what Paul describes for us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. They fit the description of these religious leaders here today who are ripping people off in the name of God at the temple. 1 Timothy says this in verse 6, verse 3, I mean, chapter 6, verse 3, it says, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about, about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil, suspicion, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness, watches is a means to financial gain. Paul there to Timothy is warning him of the signs of a false teacher. When someone is making financial gain and calling it godliness, they have a problem. They have a problem. They're ripping people off. These Pharisees were doing this in the days of Christ, these unbelieving religious Jews. And they were afraid that if they recognized Christ, their retirement plan was over. If they recognized Christ, their bank accounts would suffer. Oh, did you know that in the country that we live in? If we recognize Christ, it may cost us everything. It has always cost the people of God everything to follow Christ. They were afraid of this. They were afraid of the loss of power. Not only that, they were afraid of the loss of position. The loss of position. They said he's going to, the Romans would come and take away both our place, the temple, and our nation. As leaders of Israel, who these people followed, if the Messiah were to take the throne, there would be no need for them. There would be no need for them giving anyone any advice or wisdom. The all-wise king would take his throne. And it intimidated them. It bothered them, these leaders of Israel. They knew that they would lose their position to the Messiah. And they couldn't let this happen. They couldn't let him have their position over Israel. They loved it. 
They loved it when they got the notoriety for being religious and being religious leaders. They loved when they were given seats of honor at banquets. They loved when people gave gifts to them to show their appreciation. But really, they were using the people all the while for their own personal gain. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23 verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, sit in Moses' seat, so you, you must obey them and do everything they tell you. He's saying, I gave them this position, but do not do what they do. Ouch, watch this. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They, they have distorted the law, and they have made it this, this burden that they have placed upon the backs of these men. They've made their lives miserable. They have made them bow down to them. It goes on and says in verse 5, everything they do is done for men to see. Oh, they try to make themselves look good. They want to be people of position. They want to run for office. They want people to vote for them. And they, they want to be admired in a community. They want people to talk about how good they are. What a benefit it is to even know them. Verse 5 says, Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. What is he talking about? They would put phylactery belts on their forehead so that they could look spiritual with Scripture contained on those phylactery belts, but they would also have these garments and, and then they would have tassels from their garments and if those tassels were dragging the ground, it would be a sign of great spirituality. And as they would walk through the streets of Jerusalem, everyone would say, oh, that is a religious and a, and a pious man and he's a, one of our leaders and oh, is there anything that we can do for you? Everything they do is done for men to see them. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. That was a statement. that They would make rabbi saying this, we appreciate your wisdom and your teaching. You, 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 you have enlightened us. And they loved to hear that. They loved those earthly titles. They knew this. That if people started following Christ, they would lose this position. They would lose all the things that they really love because they really didn't love God at all. They loved the things that God brought to them. They loved the benefits of God. Isn't it true in the American church? Many people love the benefits of God, but they don't really love God at all. The whole charismatic movement is based off of receiving a blessing. What if God decided not to bless you? Do you still love Him for who He is? If you never receive another earthly thing, I pray that you would, because a true believer always will. They see their value, their portion, as we sang a moment ago, in Christ, in Christ alone. If they lose all of their earthly riches, they still have Christ. But not these religious unbelievers. They wanted to cancel Jesus. They wanted to cancel Jesus for fear of their own personal law. And a religious unbeliever will always, always try to reduce or cancel the things of God when they fear that they're going to lose control. In fact, I see it all of the time in people's lives. These religious unbelievers who try to reduce God's sovereignty so that they can rule their own lives. It's interesting, but I see it on a regular basis. When we believe in God being sovereign over all things, even our own salvation, we have people who they come and they say, well, well, I think I played a role in it. Did you now? Did you play a role in something that Scripture firmly says it is by grace through faith that you believe that's it? 
And it's not of works, that it is a gift of God, so that no man can boast. What are you doing trying to take God's glory? It is Him, it is Him alone. Bow down and see Him as sovereign over all. He can't just be kind of sovereign. Because in the American church, what we have is we have this God who they will say is sovereign, but their definition is all unbiblical. Sovereign means He is sovereignly in control over all things. Good, bad, and ugly. He rules and reigns over everything. But yet some people come and they want to reduce the sovereignty of God. Well, can't we just cancel it? Because when I think about that, I really, my feelings hurt. It's not about your feelings. It's about the truth of the Word of God. And what does the Word of God say? The Word of God says over and over and over again that He is sovereign ruler over all. That nothing nor anyone can ever thwart His will. Is that so bad? It's not bad to the believer, but it calls us because it causes us to be where we need to be on our face, bowing down to his sovereignty. Oh, but it is bad to the religious Pharisee who still wants to be in control. Cancel out the sovereignty of God. Well, he's only sovereign when I like it and when I let him be. And we either believe in the sovereignty of God or we don't believe in the sovereignty of God. There is no in between. These Pharisees were afraid that they were going to lose their position to the sovereign ruler of the universe. Little did they know that they never had a position that was over him. The position that they had, it is only he, by his grace, that he allowed them to have that. But they were afraid. So what did they do in their fear? They canceled Jesus, attempted to cancel Jesus for their own fear of personal loss. If he wasn't really Christ, what were these guys all worked up about? Their own fear in losing their personal position proves that they knew exactly who Christ was. They knew this. They even said, if this keeps going on, everybody's going to believe. We have to stop it. And they felt threatened. Many religious unbelievers, even today in the church, feel threatened. So they don't truly bow down to Christ. They don't truly bow down to Christ. They cancel Jesus. Because they fear that if I surrender to Him, I'm going to lose everything that I know and everything that I love. And I'll tell you this, yes, you could. Yes, you could. But many people today will be convicted at some point in time. And what they're going to do in that conviction is they're going to see that the sinful life that they love, the worldliness that they love, God is potentially calling them out of that sinfulness and that worldliness. And they are going to actively say, I don't want to give up my life. Can I assure you of this? If you don't give up your life, you don't have Christ. If you have not given up your life, you still live in the world, you still dabble in the world, the world is still your home, the things of the world are still your habits, you don't have Christ. How do I know this? Read with me, if you would, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. 
as we see what the Lord teaches on this subject, so that you don't think that I'm making anything up. Luke 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, anyone, not just some people, right? We see someone who's left it all for Christ, and we say, man, that person is sold out for the Lord. No, that person's an authentic Christian. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's self-denial. That is giving up your life for a better one, for an eternal one. He goes on and he says this, for whoever wants to lose his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me, in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The religious unbelievers are threatened by Christ because he requires that we lay our lives down to receive new and eternal life in him. These Pharisees would rather have control over their own lives than to submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior. They would rather have control over their own lives and spend an eternity in hell separated from the goodness of God. They would rather have those things than to have nothing and have Christ as their everything. Oh, we see it today. It's nothing new. The religious unbelievers who canceled Jesus for fear of personal loss. Next we move to verses 49 through 54 and we see this. Not only did these religious leaders cancel Jesus for fear of personal loss, they also conspired to eliminate Jesus. They conspired to eliminate Jesus. Sinful man has always and will always somehow conspire to get rid of or eliminate Christ. We see this in the lives of the religious leaders in this text. We see it in the lives of people today. You don't think that this sinful world's trying to get rid of Christ? I promise you this. You can be anything today other than a Christian. And no one is going to say a word to you. But the moment you profess Christ, all of the fangs of hell and the fires of hell are coming against you. Why? Because a lost, unbelieving sinner always desires to eliminate Jesus Christ from the equation. The religious unbelievers here in this text, conspired to eliminate Jesus. Look at verse 49. Look at this conspiracy. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You see, as I've already mentioned, his pride. He says, you are all stupid. You know nothing. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. 51 says, he did not say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. He had no idea what he was saying. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And then we know 54 says, therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews, but instead withdrew to Ephraim where he stayed with his disciples. We see this conspiracy to eliminate Jesus. You know what's interesting about this conspiracy? They didn't actually start a campaign called, hey, let's murder Jesus. 
No, they did what religious believers always, unbelievers, excuse me, always do. They actually disguised it as a noble sentiment, didn't they? Caiaphas disguised it with good-sounding words. The, the words he spoke sounded noble, that we can sacrifice the one for the whole. Isn't that a great idea? Let's just sacrifice one for everyone else, except for he wasn't talking about himself. It's easy to sacrifice someone else, isn't it? So he just made it sound as if it was noble when it really wasn't noble at all. In fact, he didn't even know what he was saying because God had placed this prophecy in him as the high priest that year, and he was saying exactly what Scripture said would happen, that the Christ was going to be killed, and he was going to be killed for those who would believe, both from Israel and those who are scattered throughout the world, the Gentiles who would soon believe. But it was disguised as a noble sentiment. If we get rid of Jesus, all of Israel will benefit. Little did they know that following through with this plan would actually be the thing that brings God's judgment upon them. Look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 is Jesus teaches a parable to these religious unbelievers. And he says this in verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, and he put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. And then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, before we get to the last of all, let me tell you what's going on here. He's teaching a parable that is concerning Israel. And he's saying to them, when we speak of the tenants, he's saying, I sent you prophets. I sent you prophets many times, and I sent you many prophets. And what did you do? You abused, and you killed them. You ignored them. I sent you prophet after prophet after prophet, trying to turn your hearts back to me to preach the truth that you need to repent. But you ignored them. And verse 37 says, last of all, he sent his son to them. Well, who could he be speaking of here but the Christ? He sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. Verse 38. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. It sounds a lot like Caiaphas here in John's gospel saying this. Hey, we've got to get rid of him. We've got to get rid of him so that the whole doesn't have to suffer. We can actually benefit from killing this Jesus of Nazareth. He's the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And so they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Here's what he'll do. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, have you never read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He's talking about Israel. He's talking to the religious leaders, the same one that he's talking to in John chapter 11. Those religious unbelievers. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Watch this. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. 
They knew that they were the unbelieving religious people that Jesus was talking about who tortured and killed the prophets and who, when he sent his son, rejected the very son of God. They conspired to, to eliminate Christ, the high priest, Caiaphas, the most important religious figure in the day, thought that by getting rid of Jesus, he was going to do everyone a favor. Isn't that how the liberals in our day think? We can just get rid of Jesus. We're going to do everyone a favor. And we don't mind if Jesus coexists along with every other false religion, because that's not the real Jesus at all. But this Jesus who says he's the only way, and he's the truth, and he's the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him, we have to get rid of this exclusive Jesus. Because what he does is he doesn't include everyone. No, he doesn't. He only includes those who by faith trust in him, period. The truly saved. But we, we can't make people uncomfortable with this exclusive gospel and this exclusive Jesus, so we have to do something about it. Let's get rid of them. Caiaphas had that idea here. And oh, what ignorance he reveals. The ignorance of wicked man, to which I once was the wicked of the wickedest. But in my wickedness, I was ignorant. Caiaphas here saying that by executing Christ, you're going to save the temple and the nation. But little did he know. Little did he know that it had already been determined by God that in 70 AD, Jerusalem was going to be destroyed for rejecting Christ. Look at Luke chapter 19 as the Lord speaks again. Luke 19 verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. This is Christ weeping over Jerusalem. Why? Because he knows that their destruction is coming, that judgment that he has been warning about is about to take place. The prophets spoke it. They ignored them. They killed them. They stoned them. Just as the parable said. Jesus is here and he's weeping. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. Interesting fact is this. Josephus records the invasion of Jerusalem. And when Josephus records this, do you know how the Romans invaded Jerusalem? They built an embankment around the wall and they climbed over it and they were able to get in the city just as Jesus told them here that it was going to happen. And then you know what they did? They did what the next verses proceed to tell us. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You missed it. Did you know this? Caiaphas is saying these things. We have to kill this Christ. Or we're going to lose the nation. We're going to lose the temple. Little did he know that by killing Christ, they were going to lose it all. God was going to judge them. That is the responsibility of man. They are responsible for hating Christ. And they are responsible for murdering Christ. You say, well, Kirk, that seems in our day quite anti-Semitic. It's not anti-Semitic at all. It is historical. The Jewish religious leaders in their unbelief murdered their very Messiah. And I will not apologize for saying that. It's what Scripture concludes. And why did they do that? They didn't do that because they were Jews. They did that because they were faithless. They did that because they were sinners and they were depraved. And here Caiaphas, in his depravity, speaks judgment on Israel without even knowing that he's speaking judgment that will soon 
to follow in 70 A.D. Many today, just as these men did, see Jesus as a threat. And because they see Jesus as a threat, they in their flesh are moved to eliminate him. Uh, Isn't that what we do in our prideful flesh? If someone is a threat, our pride says we must eliminate the threat. That's exactly what they did. Disguised as a noble sentiment, but also denying the proclaimed will of God. They missed it. They missed the proclaimed will of God. Caiaphas there in verses 51 through 54. 53, excuse me. He had received a word from God, but he had no power to scripturally interpret that word because he was void of the Spirit, because he was void of life. And the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit. He spoke of things that he didn't even know. He denied the very words that God moved in him to prophesy concerning the Christ. God moved in Caiaphas, a total unbeliever. He moved in him to prophesy that Christ was going to die for the redemption of the whole. And yet, instead of recognizing that and believing in Christ, what he did is he escalated it through his sinful depravity. He denied the words that he received from God. As many do, don't they? Desiring to eliminate Jesus, they just simply deny the truth of the word of God. He missed the whole point of Jesus' sacrificial death. You see how he missed it selfishly? He thought that Jesus' sacrificial death was just going to allow him to continue living the good life, the high life, keep his position and his status and his notoriety. However, he missed the whole point that Jesus was going to come and die, not to save their system of religion, not to save their thought nation or the remnants That it still existed of that nation. But that Jesus came to die. To save wicked sinners. Wicked unbelievers. Like myself. Like many of you. Caiaphas missed it. Why? He was more concerned with figuring out how to eliminate Christ. They want Him gone permanently. They want Him gone permanently, don't they? Out of our schools. Out of our textbooks. Out of our TV shows. Out of everything. We don't want Jesus. Isn't that the heart of sinful man? We don't want Christ. We'll take anything else. Any other false religion that you can conjure up. We want that. Any other depraved, disgusting ideology. We'll take that. Any, any form of immorality. We welcome it. But this Christ who saves the very sinners who are in need of salvation. We don't want Him. And so we conspire to eliminate him. How can we get rid of this Jesus? How can we censor him? How can we cancel him? How can we get rid of him completely? Some of us don't go that far. To permanently and completely eliminate Jesus. We just do this. We conveniently eliminate Jesus. Oh, we want him on Sunday. Right? When we're doing religious things. But when we're living like the world, in immorality and fornication and drunkenness, homosexuality, debauchery, whatever form of sin we choose to participate in, we don't want Jesus then. So we conveniently eliminate Jesus as religious unbelievers in our society when it fits best for us. 
And then we'll pick him back up again, you know, sometime Saturday night or maybe early Sunday morning when we come to play our religious game that we call church. But you too, my friends, still desire to eliminate Jesus, even if it's only out of convenience. Because a true believer will want Christ all of the time. A true believer will sing that old hymn. I need Thee, Lord, I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. Lord, I need You to protect me from me and my sin and my flesh. I need You when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I need You as my rod and my staff who comforts me. Ah, but we pick Him up and we let Him go on a whim in the American church. Why? Because we're religious unbelievers. Religious unbelievers. That that oxymoron that I started this whole sermon with. These religious unbelievers, they desired to cancel Jesus for fear of personal loss. They conspired to eliminate Jesus completely. And then thirdly, and finally, They continued going through religious motions. Religious unbelievers don't stop doing religious things. They continue going through religious motions. I want you to pay attention to verses 55 through 57, the last part of this text, because in my personal opinion, this is the saddest part of this whole text. It's the saddest part of this whole text. You know, it's, it's, it's sad that they saw Lazarus come out of the tomb, yet some still didn't believe. It's sad that they saw all the many miracles that Jesus did and they didn't believe. It's sad that they heard His preaching and saw His authority when He spoke and they didn't believe. But this right here is really, really, really sad. The saddest part of all of it. Here we have religious leaders playing religious games by observing religious rituals all in the name of God, watch this, while they are inwardly seeking to arrest and kill the very God that they are pretending to worship. Watch this, verse 55. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, the most important religious celebration in Judaism, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. I want you to see these religious unbelievers here. What are they doing? Here's what they were doing. They were cleansing only the outside. There was ceremonial cleansing prior to the Passover. And what was this doing? It was bringing them some kind of false security. They were outwardly being moral. Did you know this? Outward morality is going to send many people straight to hell. They were living an outwardly moral life. separate from belief, separate from faith in Christ. If you're living a morally life here to, a morally a moral life, excuse me, today on the outside and yet inside you are separate from Christ, you have not believed, you have missed it. 
You will not be given entrance into the eternal kingdom because you lived an outwardly moral life. That's morality. Morality does not save you. Grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone saves you. They were satisfied with just cleaning the outside. Gave them that false assurance. Some of you have false assurance, right? You can party however you want, just like the world. Because you go to church on Sunday. You live in the Bible Belt. The unfortunate thing is you're a religious unbeliever. You're a religious unbeliever. Oh, if you think today that walking through these doors made you holy, you have another thing coming. You were just as wretched right now as when you walked in, just as wretched as you will be when you leave. And you have to depend on the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ and His imputed righteousness to save you, or you have no hope of salvation. They were satisfied with it. Let's just clean the outside. Revealing fake religion and bringing a false security. Some of you have a false security that because you are in church doing religious things, but you're not going to bust hell wide open. But I assure you of this, when you die in your sin, you will bust hell wide open. And so will all who die in their sin. They had a false security through their morality, through their religion. The religion was fake. It was revealed here that it's fake religion. True religion begins with an internal new birth. Remember John chapter 3? You must be born of God. It is an internal new birth. And that internal new birth then works its way to the external. It's not vice versa. You don't do moral things and it somehow get inside. You are transformed inside to the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit as He washes you and He cleanses you and He births new life in you and faith in you and repentance in you. And then the outward is going to take care of itself. Not the other way around. They were revealing here that they had fake religion settling for just the outward. Missing out on the internal new birth that comes only by faith in Christ. Matthew chapter 23. Jesus warns these religious hypocrites by saying this. Verse 27. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. He said, oh, you've dressed the outside up nicely. But on the inside, Mr. or Mrs. Religious Unbeliever, you're dead. You're dead. And you're lost. He says in verse 28, in the same way, on the outside you appear to, to people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and Wickedness. All they could do was talk religion and go through religious rituals, but on the inside, they were dead and filthy and wicked and wretched. These religious unbelievers, concerned with cleansing only the outside, but not only that, they were concealing their wicked hearts by their religion. Some only use religion to make themselves feel better about how wicked they really are. They were observing Passover. I want you to see the irony of this. They were observing Passover while actively denying and hating the real Passover Lamb of God that the Passover pointed to. Remember John the Baptist when he saw Christ, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every Jew who heard that knew he was referencing the Passover Lamb, that sacrifice that allowed them to be freed from the captivity of Egypt. And here we are, that 
picture and that symbol has been painted for them over and over and over again, once a year since the time that it happened. And here we are, they have the very sacrifice of God, the Lamb of God, standing before them, and they say, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. I would rather have my religious position. I'd rather go through the motions than to recognize Christ for who He really is. They were concealing their wicked hearts. Their wicked hearts were set against Christ. Set against Christ, completely refusing to recognize Him as Savior and Lord while observing the Passover that pointed to Him. Seeking to murder Him. I want you to think about that for a second. We know that Exodus 20 verse 13 tells us something that we all can memorize even as children. I hope your children have memorized this. It tells us, thou shalt not murder or kill. We know that that kill means murder. It is to take another's life and murder. Now, they knew this and had this memorized since childhood. And here they are at a religious festival, the most important religious festival, mind you, that points to a sacrificial lamb who would cover all those who would believe. And instead of recognizing him as the true Messiah, the plot thickens. They go through their religious motions while they still have murderous hearts. I can tell you this right now, if you don't have room for Jesus in your life, your heart has not been cleansed. If you don't have room for His Word in your life and His commands and His teaching, your, your, your heart has not yet been cleansed. How do I know this? He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. They were concealing their wicked hearts, going through the religious motions while hating and desiring to murder the Christ who came to die for their sins. Mark chapter 7, verse 6. Mark says this, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. They wanted to hold on to the traditions of men instead of seeing the true Christ, instead of seeing the truth. Isn't that where many religious unbelievers find themselves today? In the middle of the church, continuing to go through their religious motions, singing the songs, knowing all the lines backward and forward, pretending to be righteous on the outside, but on the inside where it counts. They're still completely depraved and wicked. And they don't know Christ at all. Turn to Matthew chapter 7 as we prepare to close. Verse 22. My prayer for you today is that you not settle for going through religious motions by inwardly rejecting Christ. Why? Because of Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Watch what it says. Many will say to me on that day, what day? Judgment day. 
many will say to, oh yes, there is still one. I know we have canceled that from our culture as well. We would rather tell you interesting, hip, cool illustrations and stories than to preach to you the truth about the judgment that is to come. Many will say in verse 22 to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did, not, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly. What did they say? They said, Lord, didn't we do a lot of religious things? He said, I'll tell them plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. What a sad statement. These people were obviously religious. They were casting out demons and doing great things in His name and performing miracles in His name. They were doing all the religious things. But they didn't know Christ. Doing all the religious things, but they didn't know Christ. What a warning to us. Is that you today? Are you one of these religious unbelievers? You've been in church your whole life, but you've never surrendered to Christ. Why do you go to church? Because this is what I've always done. That's the wrong reason. It's the wrong reason. We go to church to worship the one who is worthy of all of our praise. We meet with other believers so that we can collectively Adore the one who is worthy of all of our praise to thank him for his sacrifice. And what is his sacrifice? What does that mean to us? That he truly is the Passover lamb who truly did give himself on a cross 2,000 years ago. He truly did die in my place and bore the wrath of God for me. And I owe everything to him. And I am willing to leave it all for the riches that are found in Christ and Christ alone. Where are you, ma'am? Where are you, sir? Are you settled for just being that religious unbeliever canceling Jesus every chance you get? Inspiring to eliminate Him in your life whenever it's convenient for you? Are you just carrying on, continuing in your religious rituals, going through your religious motions? Is it you? Are you one of those religious unbelievers? Are you? Are you that hypocrite? What's a hypocrite? It's not a person who doesn't get it right all the time. That's called a human. A hypocrite is a person who wears a mask. That's what hypocrite means. They wear of a mask. That means you pretend to be something that you're not. Only when it's convenient for you. Are you pretending this morning to be something that you're not? You're pretending to be a part of the church and you have no faith in Christ? If you have no faith in Christ, I assure you of this. You are not a part of His church. Are you that hypocrite? That Pharisee? Are you threatened by Jesus this morning? Are you threatened by His sovereign rule and reign over your life, over, over every aspect and every element? Are you intimidated by His Lordship over your life? Therefore, you're not believing and surrendering to Him? I would assure you today, to remember the words of Christ, what profits a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his soul? Today, leave the world and bow to Christ. Today, leave the riches that this world has to offer and bow to the riches that are found in Christ and Christ alone in His inheritance and in His eternal life and His kingdom. Have you surrendered control of your life to the Lordship of Jesus? Have you? Or are you that person who even now trembles in fear of the judgment that you know awaits you? Please don't be content with just settling for continuing to go through the motions, play the religious game. Today, bow yourself to Christ.
Surrender to Him as Lord and Savior. Surrender to Him as Lord and Savior today. Give your allegiance to the one who is worthy. Surrender to Christ today as Lord and Savior. And be saved, set free, and forgiven of all your sin. All your self-righteousness. All your self-deceit. Be saved from those things today. Be washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Let's pray together. Save them, Lord. As only you can. Those who are among us, who are in their sin, who are deceived, who are just going through the motions, Lord, we plead with you. Save them. Rescue them now, Lord. By your grace and by your mercy, call them out of darkness into marvelous light. Wash them and cleanse them as they turn to you by faith and repent of their sin. Raise them up to be one of yours. To bring you glory and honor and praise in this life and for all eternity. God, I pray for the believer today who is here. You would cause them to rejoice. Thank you once again for your grace and your mercy. Holy Spirit, we yield to you now in this time. May your sovereign and precious will be done. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness. Thank you.